Content warning. Tone Deaf is rated explicit for mature content and strong language. Spoilers are in every episode, so if you haven't seen the shows we are reviewing, you can always check back in later with us. We'll be here when you get back. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically challenged. So I hope everyone's being safe, uh, that if you're able to stay home, that you are, and if you're one of the essential workers, that they're treating you well, that they're giving you supplies so that you can also stay, stay safe. This has been like a scary as hell time. And I hope that if you're an introvert who is used to going outside and doing things outside... You mean extrovert? Yeah, extrovert. Thank you. (laughs) I hope that you're, you know, coping with the introvert life. Yes. If you need any help, reach out to uh, the introverts and we'll help you out. Uh, We are introverts, so... I'm not sure how helpful our advice would be. It'd be like, have you tried watching Netflix or YouTube? (laughs) Have you tried playing video games? Video games actually are a really good distraction in this, because it's just sort of like, okay, well, I'm going to live in this fantasy world for a while. Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. Reading's a good distraction. Pull out a book you haven't read in a while, or listen to an audio book. I mean, masturbation will kill some time, too. Masturbation is a great one. Um... You know just, what else? Just make sure you wash your hands before and after. You know what else is an amazing uh, distraction? I have a feeling that you are going to say painting. Yes. Painting is an excellent distraction. Doing arts and crafts. Doing arts and crafts is an oh. excellent distraction. Hopefully not with your seminal fluids. I had to tie in the masturbation joke from earlier. <laughs> Those clouds are a strange color, Warren. What did you use? What's what's the mixture of that pigment? Uh. <laughs> I feel like I should apologize, but I'm not going to. We only live once unless you believe in reincarnation. <laughs> so, oh, we're going to pretend that the last five minutes didn't happen. I'm not editing it out, but we're all just going to collectively pretend. See, and I don't think we've even made it to five minutes yet. Oh, God, we haven't. We're only two minutes in and a masturbation joke has happened. I mean, um, we're talking about ways to kill time. I'm just saying. It's fair, fair. I'm just saying, 15-year-old me would have loved to have been alive right now. <laughs> See, and 15-year-old me would have been like, well, well you're still doing a my lot play of is canceled. Yeah, you're still doing a lot of shit. shows. <laughs> Except I wouldn't have said shit at 15 because I was in the church. So I would have said, oh, dang it. Oh, shoot. <laughs> shucks um (laughs) actually if this had happened when i was 15 i probably would have been swearing trump probably would have made me swear at 15 it would have been like my grandfather when nixon got elected (laughs) he would have made me swear more than i already was when i was 15 yeah yeah i should say when i wasn't around my parents (laughs) because so back to my question oh that's right we're recording an episode (laughs) Yes, we are, Warren. So, like I said, painting is an excellent way to kill time. And today, we're going to do a little bit of art history. Oh, fuck. 
I know it's both of our least favorite subject for different reasons. <laughs> when, whenever I was taking art class in school, anytime that it was like, oh, this quarter we're going to do art history or this week we're going to do art history, it'd be like, well, I'm boned on the test. <laughs> See, and for me, it was like, oh, great. I get to watch or get to look at more pictures done by old dead white people. Because mm-hmm. is it just me or do those flowers look a lot like vaginas? <laughs> so, yeah, I I <laughs> never really liked art history because it was all just old white painters. You mean and... you don't like looking at lots of naked old people who are long dead and women who look strangely like naked men, but with like oranges duct taped to their chest it just it was all so goddamn white and it was like okay we're covering another white painter and i'd just be like looking at you uh, michelangelo i just like even even like i i liked the uh i liked some of the uh stuff like michelangelo but uh and goya but that was about it other than the person we're going to be talking about today a little bit uh these would be like my favorite old dead white people painters <laughs> <laughs> but like i i just always hated the fact that we never really focused on any other country and i i don't know if the art history class at my high school uh was any better because by the point that art history became an option for me in high school i had already been burned by art history so i was like fuck this i don't want to do art history because i'm just gonna see the same dead white painters and i want to see some black white paint or some black painters some black white painters not black white painters some some black painters and i want to see asian paintings and i want to see that no anyway that's my art history rant and mine was just let me draw yeah that too so we're, do you know who uh i think i'm gonna pronounce this wrong because french uh george's Surat was. No. No, I don't. I'm sure this comes as a shocker to absolutely no one, but no. That's okay. Maybe you'll recognize the painting he did that was made famous by Ferris Bueller's Day Off if okay. you were my high school let, psychology let me teacher. Guess. Is it the one that's like a bunch of people at a park? And yes. It's, it's a bunch of uh, dots? It's yes. Like a mosaic painting? Yep. In fact, that is a Sunday afternoon on the island of Le Grand Jatte. And that is one of the most popular examples of pointillism, which is my... Pointillism. And it's my favorite painting style, honestly. Like, I mean, I I do like art, mm-hmm. but art history is annoying. And I know that for anybody who is a professional artist, like, it is important to know, you know, when these different styles were created and who did it and, like, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it is cool to see the different techniques, you know. Um, yeah. Pointillism is a, a cool technique. I remember having to do some projects that... We're mm-hmm. done, you know, in a pointillism style. Um, not what I would do if they were just like, hey, make something. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I can see, I, I understand the appreciation for it. Yeah. Just don't, don't, past teachers, don't test past Warren on <laughs> who painted what in what year. See, and for me, that was, I, I liked stuff that was different with art history. So, like, I like George's Surratt, even though... There's, we'll get into it, but there's not a lot about his life that's available to people because he was very secretive and he died very young. He died at 31. Yikes. And so, um... What did he die of? Uh, a combination of a lot of things. (laughs) He, he 
ended up just like, I think it was like meningitis and a bunch of other things just all went, fuck you, Surratt, at the same time. Um, so you got, you're saying you got gangbanged by illness. Yeah, and his mistress died uh, not too long after that. And we'll go into, because he wasn't ever married. Then how is it a mistress? Because they were living in sin, so that's what they would have called it at the time, was mistress instead of girlfriend or fiancé, because, you know, at that time it's like, oh no, you should be married if you're living together and fucking. (laughs) 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 I love you. you. So, Um, um, away from art history for a sec, we're uh, going to be watching musical that's not only about George's Surratt, but is also about a Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte. We're watching Sunday in the Park with George. The Sondemizer is back, baby. The Sondemizer returns so, for another glorious Sondemizing, this time outside. That sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly why I say it. I don't even know if he would like that term. <laughs> Ask me if I give a shit. <laughs> He's like old and 90 and rich, so I'm sure he doesn't give a crap what I have to say or think. Well, so Sunday in the Park with George was written by Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine, who... Yes, sondomized me. These... Jesus. These two had previously... Colla- er, not previously. At this time, they hadn't yet done Into the Woods together. This is before Into the Woods. Um, and Sondheim did the music and lyrics, and Lapine wrote the book of the musical. This show came about with a lot of help from Lapine. See, Sondheim's previous musical, <laughs> Merrily We Roll... <laughs> yes? <laughs> I'm just... You need a peen in order to sondomize. You can't sondomize without a peen. I don't make the rules, Kay. You know, if there was a charity that donated a dollar every time I made you facepalm, we would have cured every disease. <laughs> For those who couldn't extrapolate through listening, Kay is currently facepalming. Jesus Christ. I'm surprised our wedding photos don't have you facepalming. <laughs> I mean, we were in front of your family, so it wasn't like you could... <laughs> make dick jokes at the altar <laughs> challenge accepted when we renew our vows <laughs> i mean sure because we're gonna elope when we renew our vows so tangent aside tangent aside all right sorry listeners <laughs> i know you expect masturbation jokes but tangents <laughs> that's just crossing a line so uh sondheim's previous musical merrily we roll along uh in 1981 failed spectacularly you know that name alone makes it makes it 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 should have failed just by that name it's just merrily we roll along we'll talk about that musical when we cover it um but it went so poorly that sondheim wanted to quit musicals altogether this was before sondheim was sondheim so he was still, um... He, he was baby Sondheim. I was going to say, like, yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, a proper term. So it'd be kind of like, an, not quite an apprenticeship, but he's still kind of like a journeyman, or... He was he was just a budding composer at this time. Like, he had done stuff, but this was before he gets famous. Still going through his, his discovery period? Yeah. Discovering what he wants to do. Um, or not what he wants to do, but how he wants to compose and stuff. 
So he's still discovering himself, <laughs> like yes. a fifteen-year-old boy in quarantine. And there's another dollar to the fictional cure the disease fund. <laughs> K face palms. Oh Jesus! <laughs> so. Lapine was like, no, let's get you back on the horse. And so they started collaborating. They started looking at some photos and paintings for inspiration for a new show, as you do. And then they came across Surratt's painting. Now I'm going to quote Playbill here, and I apologize because this this part that, uh, the way that I'm going to read this <laughs> is not how it went down. I am quoting Playbill. What Playbill said is true. The way I read it, is not how it went down, I'm pretty sure. Ooh, but this is the first thing I thought of while reading it. So, the 1884 painting looked like a stage set, Lapine observed, but the, it was missing the main character. Who? <laughs> asked Sondheim. The artist, said Lapine. He laid tracing paper over Lagrangeot and drew a constellation of arrows, each one pointing to an anonymous figure on the bank. <coughs> Mother, he wrote. Mistress, pass that. Butler, it was like an existential game of Clue, a whodunit in which the answer was Georges Surratt. There's no way that they weren't high, but I'm pretty sure they weren't. <laughs> but it was probably back in the day when absinthe was like the shit. I mean, this is the no. I just mean like uh, Lapine and Sondheim. Yeah, rather than the eighties. I don't know. I don't. Well, oh, I get. Oh, eighties. Then cocaine. No. It's cocaine then. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I don't think that they were on. I don't think that they were on the same drugs as Weber coming up with this. Weber's on all the drugs. <laughs> Maybe they were doing dick dingers. <laughs> I mean, with a name like Lapine. <laughs> oh, that's a double facepalm from Kay? Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. That's going to be fun <sighs> for you to edit. Oh, God. That's going to be horrible for me to edit. Okay. Anyway, so they did a deep fucking dive on Surratt and didn't pull up much because, like I said, he was secretive as hell and died at 31. Uh, and one of his secrets was his mistress. Uh, he never married, and he and his mistress uh, did have children, but their kids never survived past infancy because Ooh. turn of the century. And so this ends up being one of the things expanded upon by Sondheim and Lapine. Uh, again from Playbill... When you have a character like that, said Sondheim, you can fill him in, at, or you can fill him, <laughs> god damn it, you can fill him out any way you want. <laughs> god damn it. <sighs> if there was another charity that donated a dollar every time I laughed at something that wasn't actually a every, dick joke. Every time I made an innuendo, laughed at something that in my brain it turned into an innuendo, <laughs> we could feed all the hungry. <laughs> So two new charities that need to exist. <laughs> so according to Playbill, Sondheim wanted to kind of emulate Surratt's painting style with his music for this. Uh, Playbill said he was assigning every white piano key a color on Surratt's pan palette and juxtaposing them the way he did in his painting, using the black keys to modify them the way Surratt used black and white. 
So without getting too color theory here, because color theory was not one of my strong suits when I was doing art. So I had to like dive into this going, I'm going to get questions and I need to make sure I have this in my notes. <laughs> I'm going to feel bad if I don't ask the questions that you've prepared yourself no, this to is, answer. This is one of the ones that I uh, preemptively headed off the pass. Uh, material pigments were red, yellow, and blue, and those would be the black. And then optical light, red, green, and blue were the white. And so that's where the black and white comes in with that is okay. light versus pigments. Yeah. Anyway, um, Lapine had been working on the book and leaving cues and notations for Sondheim to work off of, but when it came time for the actors to do the script reading, Sondheim had barely finished the opening chords. For the whole show. Because <laughs> it sounds like he... Because he, if I had to guess, he set himself up musically to have very sporadic sounds. Because it, like because it, when, he, when I hear that he model, he wanted to model his music off of uh, pointillism. Yeah. You know, it's just... It makes... It makes... It paints a picture in my brain of him mm. just being like... Bing bong, ding ding, bing bing, bing bong, bing bing, bing bing, bing bong, bing bong, bing yeah. bing, bing bing, bing bong, bong. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, the music is kind of pointless. Yeah. with it, it's it's interesting. It's, it sounds like he achieved. So, oh my God, I gotta say, so if his music achieved the point of pointillism, then when you're far away, it looks good. But the closer you get, the shittier it looks. Well, I mean. I would say that this is musically, again, a really good one. Like, just listening to the music, it's it's interesting to your brain, and it makes your brain go, um, nom, 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 nom. So it's, it's uh, experimental, I would say? Yeah, it's a bit experimental, especially in the second act. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, back to Sondheim. He didn't even finish composing the second act until everyone had been cast and the rehearsals had started. Fuck. As he said, I really don't want to write the score until the show is cast and in rehearsal. Then I wouldn't make any mistakes. Silly as it sounds, it's true, because then you know the qualities of the people that you're writing for. Okay. I, I, I mean, sure. I guess. Yeah. But that... Uh, okay. Uh. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that, like, if you think about it, because... It, it, just looking back on Sweeney Todd, Sondheim is meticulous with his music and with the way that he writes. So it kind of uh, it kind of makes sense. You okay there? I was just looking at our desks and I'm like, they're closer together at the bottom. And yeah, I don't know if it's top. due to the fact that we assembled them or not. I mean, what are you trying to say, Kay? <laughs> The fact that we are not master carpenters. <laughs> well, we can follow instructions, and if we don't, we can take it apart and flip pieces around like we had to do, and then reassemble. <laughs> Tangent aside. So, this show had a very in-progress feel for a while. Uh, to quote from Playbill again, In one version of this show, all the figures in the painting got solos. Another draft featured a lengthy detour to the 1950s with a child era, child actor playing the pre-chromolume, chrom, Jesus, uh, 
George saying uh, this is a show that Steve and James were writing as they as we were doing it, recalled uh, Bernadette Peters. Every day would wait to see if a song would appear. I remember how exciting it was when Finishing the Hat came in. By that point, Sunday in the Park with George had already begun performances, and the creators were making nightly curtain speeches acknowledging the play's unfinished nature. <laughs> Speaking of Bernadette Peters, all she needed to say, hell yeah, I'm doing this, was a look at one song in 30 pages of Act 1. <laughs> Jeez, 30 yeah. pages of Act 1. Yeah, she was just like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I and, like Bernadette. Yeah, I love Bernadette Peters so much. I mean, she didn't say fuck yeah, but you know, I like we, to We can it. infer. Yeah, we can infer. Uh, so you can't talk about Sunday in the Park with George without talking about its most famous song, Finishing the Hat, which like, woof, it is so good. It's amazing. And uh, here's Playbill again on how this song came to be. I, I love that Playbill covered this because I was trying to look for resources on this show for the in-progress stuff and playbills are really good broadway magazine um that you can get online and follow their twitter because they're awesome so one afternoon sondheim told mandy patinkin that he'd written a new song for george in search of an open piano uh, they left playwrights horizons and crossed the street to the basement of the west bank cafe sondheim sat down at the piano and began to play he was very nervous, Patinkin said. When he finished playing it and singing it, he went from a dry shirt to just sopping wet underarms right in the chest bones, just drenched. <laughs> he was worried about something, and we were in tears, all of us. Patinkin performed Finishing the Hat that night, using his sketch pad as a crib sheet. Also, yes, he is that Mandy Patinkin. Who's that Mandy Patinkin? My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I didn't know his name was Mandy Patinkin. Yes, it's the same dude. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Is he in this? Yes. Fuck yeah. Yeah, he's George Surratt. Oh, yes. Okay, cool. Yep. I'm in down. fact, he's he's very big in Broadway musicals, so. Yeah. My name is George Surratt. You did a musical of my painting. I guess I won't kill you. <laughs> Prepare to watch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. So, Finishing the Hat has inspired composers, authors, Joss Whedon, Stephen Colbert's, all walks of artistry. Like, basically, like, if you're an artist and you know this song, this song probably influenced you. Oh. Or speaks to you in some way. Well, sure. And it's, it's one that, like, uh, while you were out with Latte yesterday, I was actually listening to it just to get into the mood and i was just like oh i love this nice i love this song it's oh, like cool. it's my favorite in the whole show the, um, finishing the hat yes finishing the hat so the That's first like euphemism god damn it okay. <laughs> so the first performances were those off-broadway performances where only the first act was performed because the second act wasn't done yet <laughs> It opened on July of 1983 uh, off-Broadway and only went for 25 performances. Uh, Tone-deaf alumnus Leonard Bernstein wrote to Sondheim and was like, Shit, dude, that was fucking awesome so far. <laughs> okay, what he really said was it was, brilliantly, it was brilliant, deeply conceived, canny, magisterial, and by far the most personal statement I've heard from you thus far. Bravo. But I like mine better. <laughs> 
It was thought-provoking, revolutionary, really. But compared to mine, it's just tripe. <laughs> I mean, uh, Bernstein was kind of like a... It, it, he and Sondheim had worked together with uh, West Side Story, and this was like, you know, he he's still influencing Sondheim a little bit because they had to work together for that. So they're buddies. They're buds. And Leonard Bernstein by this time, as you know, fantastic, amazing composer. So to have that, to have a good like, man, your stuff is, this is like, bravo, good job. That's pretty big for Sondheim. Yeah, but then it's a backhanded compliment. Like it's a, it's a it's a gracious, well, not gracious. It's a grand backhanded compliment, just to be like, hey, that was really good. But mine, I like mine better. Like just, oh no, I said that I like mine better. My oh, version of what he said. The, oh, the shit, dude, that was fucking awesome so far. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, I thought you said. I no, thought you were no. saying that he literally told him no, that no. that was thought that was amazing. All I, this, but he's like, but I like my version better. And no. I was like, what a dick no 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 sorry (laughs) it's okay no i like i like my version of the uh of his phrase better because his whole thing could just be summed up in shit dude that was fucking awesome so far (laughs) uh fun fact kelsey Grammer was in this performance pre-fraser oh cool so that's fun uh and we'll talk about him and broadway in some later episode i'm sure so, on May 2nd, 1984, however, the show was moved to open to Broadway. It was frozen, basically them going, stop tinkering with it, Sondheim, no more effects, changes Brian Farron, pencils down, just mm-hmm. a few days prior. Pencils down, we have to get this shit ready. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of Brian Farron, this motherfucker is a special effects genius, and you'll see why <laughs> in the second act, because he does something that was never done in a Broadway show before. And I'm not going to give it away. High explosives? No. But I'm not going to give it away. So, uh, the show did receive mixed reviews, but at least it wasn't received by Merrily We Roll Along. And by mixed reviews, I mean that at the time, you either hated it or you loved it. So it was polarizing. Mm-hmm. It was very polarizing, especially the second act. You, like You didn't get any. Eh. You just got, yeah, you got either brilliant or Yeah, rubbish. like, you had... Even in the brilliant reviews, you had a little bit of like, eh, this could have done with a little bit of work and stuff like that. But, you know, there were the negative reviews were like ridiculously negative, Mm. which I don't think is fair for this show because and, you know, when you look at it in hindsight, it's like, no, this is brilliant because it's experimental. And any time that you do something experimental, it's not going to be well received because it just isn't. I mean, it depends on if the reviewers are as opinionated as I am, because I stand by every single one of my negative reviews. <laughs> well, I mean, some of them, it's like, yes, you experimented and it failed, and then you just kept experimenting on it or doubling down on it or not putting a leash on Julie Taymor, and suddenly we've run out of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and also Bono and the Edge shouldn't write a musical. But that's... No, no they shouldn't. That's my, that's my angry review on a show that we're not covering today. <laughs> that we've um, already reviewed. And instead of focusing on the negative reviews, I'm going to uh, read this excerpt from Playbill that talks about some of the positives. Uh, the New York Times' Frank Rich was virtually virtually alone in giving the show a rave review. 
uh, Stephen Sondheim and James Lapine demand that an, an audience radically change its whole way of looking at the Broadway musical, he wrote. With Sunday and the more commercially minded Into the Woods, they did just that. The musicals are like two yolks from the same sublime egg. In both shows, each song rises from the harmonic ashes of the preceding song. The second acts complicate, contradict, and devour the lessons of the first, and Bernadette Peters materializes as a ghost just in time for the 11 o'clock number. These formal innovations, so galling to contemporary critics, feel inevitable today. Interesting. So from what that was said... God damn. My brain, the only thing I took away is, okay, so Bernadette Peters is the mistress, and she dies, but then she comes back to do a song later. In a way, yeah. In a way. So? In a way. Like I said, the second act is a bit polarizing, because at the time, like now, it's one of those things that because we've had shows like this, other playwrights have modeled off of this one or off of Into the Woods and make the second act less, like, upbeat. And another good example would be uh, Ragtime, which you haven't seen yet, that the first act and the second act are two very different moods. Second act is, like, it's not quite as bad as the second act of Into the Woods with how... I I was about to ask, because it sounds like Into the Woods, where the first act is a little bit more upbeat and then the second act is just... Yeah. Shit has gone sideways. I would say that the first act of Ragtime has enough of a, uh, like, there is racism, there is this, there's this, there's classism, uh, there's the issue of socialism versus capitalism, and so that's sort of your undercurrent. And then in Ragtime, it comes to a head in the, at the very end of the first act, start of the second act. And then second act has a few bits of levity, whereas Into the Woods, it was just this, like, falling down the pit of despair to the end yeah. of the second act. And then it tips up a little bit at the very end to mm-hmm. be like, there's hope. Yeah. Ragtime, it gives you little bits of levity, which that I can't wait to cover that show. And we'll probably uh, do... To, we'll probably do a regular and bonus on that one because we have the concert version that I was in that we can watch. So anyway, uh, not ragtime time. Uh, <laughs> the Broadway production of uh, Sunday in the Park with George did get nominated for 10 Tonys. Shit. However, they only won the Lighting and Design Awards, which <laughs> when you see it, it will make sense. Gotcha. Um, it did win the Drama Death drama desk for best musical that same year so suck it critics (laughs) and we're going to be watching the october 1985 videotape performance which was recorded shortly after the show closed on broadway on october 13th 1985 uh the recordings weren't on october 13th that was when the show closed the recordings were like the 21st to the 25th like they kind of broke it up and took best performances and stuff kind of like you would do for any other, uh, like if you're trying to do a pro shot without it being a pro shot of one performance, then that's how you would do it. Um, do you remember Desperate Housewives? Yes, unfortunately. This show references, or that show references Sunday in the Park with George in its titles. Really? Yes. Yes. Interesting. There's a couple of episodes that'll have, uh, titles of songs from this show um 
like I said, though, we're going to be watching this uh, 1985 version. It'll have Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters in it. Uh, it was first aired on Showtime February 18th, 1986, and then it aired on PBS on June 16th of that year. You can get it on Amazon, and if you are unable to get it on Amazon, it is available on YouTube. Um, pretty, I'm not sure if it's a official upload or not, but in these times of like everyone having to rely on streaming and people not having access to Amazon or not, like we got it before all of this stuff happened. <laughs> um, but like I, I can definitely understand not wanting to have things shipped to you or not wanting to use Amazon with uh, issues of uh, way that workers are treated. So yeah, if you don't want to do that, then it is available on YouTube. <laughs> Can I offer you a streamable musical in this time of need? Exactly. Oh man, I can't wait for uh, after this. <laughs> I've I've got what we're doing next in mind, and it's it's <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, when you get like I have mixed feelings when you get excited because one, you have a smile that is gorgeous, and when you get excited, <laughs> you smile, and I'm like, oh. Mm. But then other times, I'm like, uh oh, she gets excited when I'm about to suffer. <laughs> I'll say that I haven't seen the show that I'm going to have us watch after. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It's going to be something. It's going to be something. All right. So are you ready for Sunday in the Park with George? I'm ready on this Saturday afternoon. (laughs) Then let's go. Hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our favorite people in the whole world? Heck yeah! Today, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsor, Jasmine Wu, and our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Reagan, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it. You are listening to 5.30 on your podcast aisle. Confused yet? Well, my dad, Raymond, or Ruckland, is putting out 5 and 30, an interview podcast. Wait, wait, don't leave. It's not going to be one of those boring, hour-long shows, no. He's going to be sitting down with creators, voice actors, and hosts from many different shows that he swears you will have heard of, and asking them five random questions. They could be simple, deep, or just plain silly, and after they answer them, they'll get 30 seconds to plug whatever they want. No matter what, the goal is for you, yes you, to get to know the people behind the shows you listen to even better. And who knows, maybe you'll even find a new show to check out. This will all be coming to you everywhere you already get your podcasts starting the first week of the new year. Check castjunkie.com for more details. <sighs> okay, Dad, I did the thing. Can I please go now? 5 and 30 with Ruck coming soon. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, so let's head back to the second act of our show. Alright, Warren. So, what did you think? Do you agree with the critics? Or do you agree with me? (laughs) Well, I mean... I know where my bread is both toasted and buttered, so I agree with you. <laughs> but even if you hadn't given me that look, I would have agreed with you. Awesome. This like this show's not my favorite at mm-hmm. all. Um, 
like what's interesting is I actually liked the second half more than I liked the first half. Yeah, second half uh, is the better half of the two. Yeah, the second half is really interesting because uh, um, just the way that first the first half you know is takes place in eighteen whatever mm-hmm. Paris with you know yeah, it was like eighteen eighty four yeah something like that yeah actually yeah I think that's right because then in the future it's nineteen eighty four so it's yeah. a full hundred years um, and you know so it takes place you know in post 19th post 20th century uh in france and i really don't like george Mm -hmm. i really don't like his character in this yeah uh he's just kind of the the obsessed artist Mm -hmm. kind of trope you know character he doesn't acknowledge anyone else around him really it's all about you know his vision his art and stuff like that and so he's kind Mm -hmm. of abusive to his mm-hmm. girlfriend, you know, and yeah. I, I know that, you know, I know that it's completely fictionalized and everything. Yeah, like that's not nothing like George Surratt. <laughs> not at all like the way Surratt really was, but in this character, so I'll be talking about just how he was in this show because, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I don't like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, fuck George. George <laughs> is a douchebag, like really cruel emotionally. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't, he doesn't like beat his girlfriend or anything like that he's emotionally distant or call her names or anything Mm -hmm. but he's very emotionally distant um to the point where like the you know the relationship i'm I'm, I'm sitting here watching i'm like going i'm amazed that that uh she stuck around as long as she did yeah uh so i mean i'm because yeah i that would not uh yeah that would not work with me yeah with me so Sunday in the Park with George, brought to you as Saturday in the House with Warren. (coughs) (coughs) I almost choked on my Sprite Ginger. Are you okay? You could be a sponsor of the podcast, Sprite Ginger. (laughs) Kay's whoring us out. I will drink all the Sprite Ginger. Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Anyway. The show opens up with a brief recounting of what Kay had talked about, uh, minus the inappropriate jokes on my part. (laughs) The opening talks about when George was born, when he died, and how... uh, Oh, sorry. When he was born, when he died, and how this show is a work of fiction and how little is known about Mm -hmm. Surratt. Uh, George... (laughs) And, uh... Because it's the actor who played Diego Montoya, he is (laughs) George Montoya... Throughout this entire show. So <laughs> Which, just, will you ever look at Inigo Montoya the no. same way again? And the entire time that we were watching this, I'm like, now I want to watch Princess Bride. Right. So I I may make you do that later today. <laughs> so. Make me? That's that's a joy. And I haven't seen that movie in so long. What? Musical adaptation oh. of Princess Bride with Mandy oh. Patinkin. He's too needs... old now. No, he's not. <laughs> He could play somebody else. He couldn't play. No, he could still. I, I believe it would be so good. It would be so good. Okay, continue with your notes. <laughs> George Montoya paints the scene for us, talking about balance and light and other art stuff that I've long forgotten from school. <laughs> George brings out his mistress, Bernadette, and directs her to stand and look out at the water while he draws her. George uses his godlike artist powers to pluck a tree out of existence <laughs> because it has offended his eye. <laughs> Mistradette gripes that he's supposed to be drawing her, not the trees. 
George Montoya reassures her that he is drawing her and to be a good little model and look out at the water. An old rich bitch and and her nurse uh, come to their normal spot in the park to sit and find that George Montoya has smited the tree that hath offended him. They decide to sit at another tree since they lack the power to combat this god in his own domain. The old rich bitch inquires to her nurse, What's that? That over there, that big thing, that tower thing, let's call it Eiffel. <laughs> the nurse tells her that uh, uh, the nurse tells her that they say that when it's constructed, it will be the largest building in the world. The old rich bitch takes a page out of the GOP playbook and complains about foreigners. <laughs> Miss uh, Miss Dredette is getting frustrated about standing in the sun while George Montoya is in the shade. Miss Dredette uh, belts the song of her people and how there are worse things than being in the park on a than being in the park on a Sunday with George. A mysterious man shows up to spy on George Montoya, and Miss Dredette is like, "George, it's that guy." And holy shit, that guy is Data from Star Trek The Next Generation. And I can't remember what his actor's name is, but holy shit, it's Data, Kay. It's Data. Brett Spiner. Yes, Brett Spiner. Uh, Kay has told me that the the character's name is Franz, but I guess he'll turn into Dennis later. She said it will make more sense later. So I, I trust Kay whether or not that's a good choice or not. Anyways, apparently Franz is the emissary of two rich assholes who scoff at George Montoya's painting of boys bathing. I mean, I get it. Why do you paint boys bathing, George? Something you want to tell the class? George is like, George, is there a reason that you're so, that you were so secretive, George? Do you like him young, George? I mean, I feel like we're not focusing enough on why George was painting boys bathing. If you're worked up about this, let me tell you about the Greeks. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's like, you know, a thousand years between the two. And other painters from just Europeans, man. Y'all are... I don't want to judge y'all, but... (laughs) I don't want to judge, but I'm going to judge. (gasps) Anyways, the rich couple are like, Interesting choice of painting boys bathing, George. Interesting decision that George... Oh, but I do like the dog. Goddamn right you like the dog, lady. Anyways, as Miss Stradette and George Montoya are leaving the park, George goes over to talk to the old rich bitch who hates foreigners. Turns out it's his mother who seems to be suffering from some form of dementia and doesn't seem to know this strange man is her son. George is like, hello, my name is George... Oh, sorry, I ruined that. (laughs) Hello, my name is George Montoya. You are my mother. Prepare to sit there in the sun and continue staring out at the river. (laughs) And then he walks off. The scene changes to George and Miss Stradette's home, where Miss Stradette is powdering her bosom and lamenting about how George likes to be alone, painting, and how he doesn't sleep as much as normal people do. He's just spends, he just spends all his time in that studio, painting young boys swimming, apparently. <laughs> George sings about painting a hat and lists colors. He comes out from painting to stare at Miss Stradette, 
who is, uh, while she's looking at herself in the mirror, she inquires to George Montoya if she should wear the red dress or the blue one. Oh, this fucking, uh, red, he says, and she asks him if he's going to get cleaned up. Why, he replies. She, uh, the follies, she says. I had to ask Kay what the fuck follies were. <laughs> I guess it's like a cabaret or something, so some kind of show. So George is like, I can't go out. I have to finish the hat. <laughs> Mr. Got to Det, the hat. God, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Det storms off, understandably upset. George goes back into his studio and is a bit of a dick speculating if Miss Drudette will go out to the cabaret show without him or if she'll sulk in the corner. Yeah. Like, that's one of the things where I'm just kind of like, man, you're a prick. Mm -hmm. Like, the fact that he's just... Basically, he goes back to paint and is just mocking her like, oh, she's upset. Yeah. I wonder what she's going to do. I'm just... The entire time, I'm like, wow. Fuck you. Like, it's, it's one of those things where I can see some of the personal sides like for this show when it comes to the artsy side of things for Sondheim. But then the parts with George Surratt, I'm like, like being a dick to people. I'm like, but come on, we know that that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that that's not always the case with artists. You, you know, don't need to do that. Th that's and, one of the things too, is I, it, you know, the, 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 uh, absent minded inventor, the absent minded yeah. artist, you know, the, the, uh, consumed creative person you know yeah. and that's such a common trope you know yeah. i i don't necessarily care for it i feel like i maybe i need to to be a little easier on it considering that this is an older show you mm -hmm. know it was done in the 80s and and whatnot and so it's kind of before tropes really where people were trying to um not get stuck in tropes yeah. you know, when doing stuff yeah um but at the same time it's just I don't know. I really dislike that, and I guess part of that is because I get too emotionally invested in the characters, and mm -hmm. so I'm just sitting there, like, feeling for for Mistradet, and yeah. just being like, why are you with this douchebag? He's not paying mm -hmm. You know, and it's one thing, it's like, it's, it'd be one thing if she was always, like, like a cat, like, pay attention to me, love yeah. on me, look at me, yeah. look at me, look at me. Like, it'd be one thing, it'd be like, hey, like, I'll spend some time with you, and then I'm gonna go do my mm -hmm. thing, like, leave me alone. But the fact that she... It, just wants a little bit mm -hmm. of an effort of attention spend some quality time together yeah. and he's like no i have to finish the hat <laughs> in the inigo montoya <laughs> hello my name is inigo montoya you killed my father prepare to die oh god now i really want to watch that <laughs> the scene changes to george and Ms. oh i just read that ha 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 uh george is back at the park sketching a filthy man with an eye patch. <laughs> George Montoya has moved on to pirate art. Yar! Oh. <laughs> you okay? Yes. Stop drinking, Kay. My mouth is dry. <laughs> oh, I guess he's supposed to be another part of his big Sunday park painting. Mm -hmm. uh, the rich couple from earlier come out to be like, George is weird. And the rest of the people at the park sing about how artists are weird and strange. <laughs> I actually did like that song. Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I can look it up. That's all good. I mean, yeah, go, go ahead, Belle. It's all good. But uh, anyway, turns out that Miss Dredette has a name. Her name is Dot. And she's at the park with the baker because he actually pays attention to her and makes her feel wanted. George doesn't seem to care for he only has eyes for his work. 
A wild child is running amok in the background of the park, assaulting people left and right with her umbrella. The wild child wanders too close to the filthy eyepatch man, who chases her off aggressively. George tells him that chasing her off was unnecessary. The grimy pirate gets angry and gestures at George with his knife, calling him a boy with fancy clothes and pencils, and that he doesn't know what real work is, and he storms off. George is a bit shaken, and two onlooking prissy ladies take it, take it as an opportunity to criticize him. Who will you draw now? they inquire. I'm drawing his dog, George replies. George also comments that he has drawn those two women as well, and the two of them go from being bitchy to giddy. Oh my god, you did? Can I see? Can I see? Can I see? Show me, show me, show me! George replies with the cold, calculated demeanor of a tortured soul. Someday you will. <laughs> and the song is called Gossip. The... That makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But yeah. Because that's basically everybody in the scene is just gossiping about George. Yeah, and like, these scenes... Any time that it's not the George being cut off from his relationship with Dot, I like those. I like the scenes that are not those, like scenes that are just other people going like, "Oh, look at this weird artist sketching shit." You know, and that's the thing. Um, I am harsh on George, and I feel like it's warranted. Yeah. Um. So I will not apologize for that. No, but that it, doesn't mean that there aren't good scenes in the beginning. Part, yeah. The, the the first act, or not the first act, the uh, first half. Mm -hmm. Even though I like the second half better, mm -hmm. um, the first half still has cool stuff. And yeah. One thing I forgot to mention early on, um, is I see what you were saying about how this one. Tony's for uh, art and lighting, like yes. stage design and lighting. Yeah, because it was really impressive scene the way they had it, like just the the layers of depth on the scene. Uh huh. And the way that they would just slide elements up and down, and how the entire uh, stage was basically the painting. That's, yes, that the whole stage was the painting. Yes. Um, ex you know, except for when they were in his studio and whatnot. Mm. But uh, and then they just had him behind the painting. Yeah, and then they just had him behind the painting. Um, but the, yeah, the the yeah the stage and the lighting and the art design mm -hmm. was all really really good. Yeah. And the songs are good. Like um, everybody in it was very talented. Having great mm -hmm. singers. Nothing I can say negative about that at all. Yeah. Um, the songs didn't really get stuck in my head as much. Mm -hmm. But they're Sondheim. Which I don't think my brain can process his stuff <laughs> like like real music people can mm -hmm. because some of his stuff is just so fast mm -hmm. that my brain is just like it just becomes a blur to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, his stuff is complex, and this is another like Sweeney Todd is still his most complex show. But is it I, really? Yeah, I, I because... would think that. Uh, into the Woods would be one of them. So, Sweeney Todd, I believe, is the more complex one because there's only 20% of the show has dialogue, whereas 80% uh, is music. Okay. And so, like, he just, it's constantly going, and you just can imagine Sondheim just writing that one pretty furiously, and that one was before this one. And so I feel like Sunday is maybe just a little bit less complex musically because into the woods you can still get songs like you can get songs caught in your head with into the woods where you're yeah. just 
with with this one not so much mm-hmm. um none of the songs really stood out to me like some of his other work yeah uh i i mean and and especially like the later half of the show it's much it while it is a musical it has more of a straight play feel to it yeah um I mean, yeah, but but uh, one thing I oh dang it, I was gonna mention it and it, it entered my brain and then I was talking and then it left my brain. Let's see if I can get it back. Uh, uh, no, it's gone. Squirrel brain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As George Montoya is getting ready to leave, he stops by to say hi to Bernadotte. The two <laughs> chit chat for Bernadotte instead of Mister Det. She's now Bernadotte. <laughs> The two chit-chat briefly. Bernadotte inquires if George is getting more work done now that he has fewer distractions, implying her, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, George doesn't tell her yes, but he's like, it is quiet. Mm-hmm. But before he can, uh, before they can chat more, Baker Boyfriend comes back with pastries for his lovely Bernadotte, and George <laughs> bids them both a good day and rushes off. Like, George is an interesting... Like, uh, he's an interesting character, and I did... Yeah, George is an interesting character when he's not being a dick. Yeah. Because uh, he goes, you can tell that he does care mm-hmm. for Bernadotte, but he won't tell her that he cares for her. It's like he has this, adi- his attitude is almost like that of, if I'm paying any attention to you, then you should know that I care about you. Yeah. Even if I'm 90% of the time not paying attention to you. Yeah. Which I'm just like... Their love languages are incompatible. Their love languages are so (laughs) crazy incompatible. (laughs) Her love language is time. His love language is... Uh, Time and affection. Yeah. Hers is time and affection. His is... Yeah, who knows? Uh. Whatever his is. (laughs) The next Sunday, George is back. Drawing data friends, <laughs> data fronds, and whoever the fuck he's with. <laughs> data fronds criticizes George for not working, and his female friend is like, "I think artists work quite hard," but in a German accent. Mm-hmm. Data fronds quips back, "Work is what you do for others. Art is what you do for yourself." The rich douche from earlier is back, asking George why he's working on Sunday again, and that he should give himself a day off. Turns out, this prick's name is Jules, and Jules is like, what the fuck, why are you drawing my servants? Surely you can find better models. Like the tasty, what, like that tasty pastry Bernadotte. Mm, yeah. I saw her the other day with the baker. Why is that? George doesn't take the obvious bait, and instead politely tells Jules to fuck off. <laughs> but he does tell him to come by the studio to see his new painting. After all, George doesn't paint for Jules' approval but he is apparently wanting his opinion. Um, so there was a great line that I really liked in that exchange where Jules is, I can't remember how the dialogue happens, but because he, you know, because he first sees George and George is sketching. He's like, oh, you're sketching again. I was like, you should give yourself a day off. And he's like, mm-hmm. why? And I remember George <clears throat> saying, why? Like, well, why would I take time off? And I can't remember what Jules says after that, but um, the dialogue goes forward a bit and then, George quips back with, I don't paint for your approval. Yeah. Kind of thing. Says that to uh, to Jules. And Jules is like, oh, but everyone should want my approval. Mm-hmm. I'm rich. Kind of thing. And then he goes to storm off. But then uh, George is like, 
you know, Jules, you should come by the studio and see mm-hmm. my my new painting and stuff. And he's like, for my approval. And he goes, your opinion. Yeah. Kind of thing. That, honestly, like, knowing about Merrily We Roll Along and its failure kind of colors this whole show. Oh, yeah? For me. Because if you think about it, it's an artist who doesn't necessarily get understood by the critics Mm. because he's doing things that no one else is doing. So you think it's a little bit of a, of a Sondheim self-insert? It's a little bit of a, like not necessarily a self-insert. Well, a little bit. Like it's colored with a little bit of that. Yeah, it's colored with a little bit of that. Because as we talked, like Sondheim is doing, he's experimental in a lot of stuff he's doing. So it seems like there's some Venn diagram overlap there. Like, George Surratt, experimentally, is a perfect blend for Sondheim. Like, a perfect author insert. It's just not necessarily the uh, way that he's portrayed in this is a good insert. But more the, I'm an experimental person that no one seems to understand. So, since you brought it up, like, what is Merrily We Roll Away? Not Merrily We Roll Away. Merrily... We Roll Along. We Roll Along. So, um... I'm not going to give you plot or anything because we're going to talk about it when we do the show. And I'm not sure when we're going to get to cover it because we'll probably have to do it, it like a uh, bootleg or something. <laughs> because to give you an idea, uh, last year they announced that they were going to be filming an adaptation of this, of Merrily We Roll Along. The show takes place... <laughs> From 1957 to 1976, they are going to be filming it over that proper decade span to allow the actors to age with the characters. Jesus Christ. Because that's kind of how the play is, is, yeah. That's going to, that's a time-consuming body of work. I I think it's going to be put off a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. I'm yeah. surprised the studio they out said there it, is willing to put a 10-year investment in one thing. Well, it's, it's Richard Linkletter, who also did Boyhood, and that's another show, like another movie that, that one was filmed from 2001 to 2013. So that's kind of what they're going to be doing again, but this time with one of Sondheim's musicals. And it'll be interesting to see that. But yeah, that that kind of, yeah. Hmm. It's a, it's a long time period musical. Well, but... rolling along. <laughs> Bernadotte is at the park again with her baker boyfriend, whose name is Louie. And everyone loves Louie. He's nice and popular and brings treats for everyone. But he's not too bright. He's not too entertaining or controversial. Nothing really remarkable about him at all. Bernadette likes how nice and loving he is, but she doesn't feel abused. (laughs) It's not exciting to be with Louie. He's a nice guy. But what Bernadotte wants is to be ignored and disregarded and to be used by someone who doesn't appreciate her. Bernadotte wants a George. You can tell. Because <laughs> in that whole scene, like, she's just in the park and just singing about how everyone loves Louie. And Louie's like, 
going around giving people pastries and mm-hmm. everybody's happy to see him and that one wild child who was assaulting people with her umbrella comes over and like grabs his hand and like pulls him over to like this baby carriage i think it's probably her her infant sibling like mm-hmm. look at you know yeah and louis just seems like a all-around swell guy nothing bad to say about louis you know sure he's maybe not as smart as some other person but he's yeah. nice and he doesn't ignore her but she's still pining for George, mm-hmm. the misunderstood artist, the, yeah. the the tortured genius. And I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. It was either after this scene or before Bernadotte's Man Trouble song that George went a little crazy and was talking with dogs while he drew them <laughs> and imagined what their lives were like. I love that song. That is, that is probably the wackiest song in the show. Like, cause I remember, he, like, cause he does that, right? Like, at one point, he's like mm-hmm. imagining like what the dog's life is like. He's like, run around, bark, 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 and yeah, and yeah, sniffing things, sniffing and things, and snacking, snacking on garbage that they found on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And what's funny too is because in the show, um, anything that's an animal is just like they treat it like it's a real animal that's there. Yeah. But it, they're they're set pieces. They're they're blown up versions of the actual pictures in the painting yeah but they're just there and so he'll go over and like i love the part where he's talking to the dog and it's just like you know a still yeah <laughs> sitting there <laughs> there was a scene that they mentioned earlier um and i forgot i didn't include it in my notes but uh bernadette was talking to George. actually might have been the very beginning but she was saying that people say that like we're we're making fun of him because they said he was painting bars or whatever at the zoo. Mm-hmm. He's like, I was painting the, mon- I was drawing the monkeys yeah. behind the bars. Kind yeah. Of thing. And so that, cause that comes back later. Yes, it does. Cause there's monkeys. So, <gasps> so we're past that. Anyways, George is at the park on another Sunday and watches two thirsty tots as they <laughs> orgasm moan while fishing to attract the attention of two soldiers. <laughs> That's exactly what they were doing. It, is. it sounds because that's the thing. They were like they they were just waving their fishing rod. They're going ah, 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 ah. like while they're. I know I do that way too well. Uh oh, Kay is Siegel laughing. But they do that to attract the attention of these two soldiers. And I love the soldiers because one of them is the actual actor. And then he's carrying around a cardboard cutout of yeah. the other soldier. Yeah. I just, that part was one of my favorite little comedy touches in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, doing their orgasm noise in the wild, it works as expected. And we see the first precursor to the catfishing we know on the internet today. <laughs> The only real soldier of the pair explains that his bland cardboard cutout companion lost his hearing in training exercises, and he can't talk. I don't, you know, they, they don't ever explain why he can't talk. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe he got shot in the mouth or something, but they never say. It's because uh, he's fucking cardboard. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, yeah, okay. Really, we've got to ask, why are these girls fawning over a cardboard cutout, too? Because he's supposed to be a real soldier. It's make-believe. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and he, let's see, so he talks about that his uh, companion lost his hearing in training exercises and that he can't talk. He's a mute. And that the two of them have become very close. Inseparable, even. <laughs> George Montoya watches from afar and then sings his own song about missing Bernadotte. This song, see, this song is the infamous... 
finishing the hat song that Kay referenced earlier. Well, it's also talking about, like, uh, being an artist and kind of getting consumed by your art and by trying to, you know, it, it's it's more of like a, this is what I'm doing, I'm an artist, I'm doing this, but there's all these other things that I also want to be doing or need to be doing, and well, it's I, sort of like this, it's an artist anthem almost. That's fair, because I just, the main part that I remember about that song, other than him repeating, finish the hat, you mm-hmm. know, I put a hat where there was no hat, then, yeah. he, then he turns his pad to the dog, look at the hat, like, yeah, <laughs> but, um, because at the beginning of it, he's talking about that he told her, you know, I can't go to the Follies, I'm finishing the hat. Yeah. Kind of thing. And that, and so that's kind of why I was like, oh, he misses her. Because, like, he does miss her. He does. And, but he, it's like he's, it's like he's compelled to do it. Like, it's mm-hmm. a compulsory thing. Like, he can't not do this art. And mm-hmm. so he neglects everything else in his life because yep. he has to do this art. Yep. And... And that's kind of where that song is going, is where it's like you're compelled to do this thing, and even if, like, you're you're just wanting to create this thing, even if other people are telling you not to, or even if it's getting in the way of other things, you're just compelled to keep creating. And it's it's sort of a, like I said, it's kind of an artist anthem, and it's why, like, not just, like, Colbert's and Whedon's, but other artists and even like six-year-olds are into this song like they're covers of six-year-olds doing it on youtube according to the playbill article i never looked but yeah because it's a popular fucking song to do and it it touches any age group because any age group you can kind of if you're into the arts then you can kind of find yourself somewhere in that song. That's fair. I mean, I, <clears throat> then again, I'm less into the art than I used to be. You know, mm-hmm. not, I mean, just because I, I don't draw like I used to. Um, mm-hmm. But even when I was doing art a lot, I was never so consumed by it yeah. that I would, like, neglect you. No, it's it's like the, uh, in in the context of the show... Yeah, that's that is kind of where it is, but once you take the song out of the context of the show, it does get a life of its own a little bit cuz I probably need to listen to it again. Yeah. Because it's yeah. also one of the things is I I there are things that I miss and I don't absorb because I'm focusing yeah. on Yeah, well, I'll notes. probably play the song for you again later and we can see how you feel about it later, but yeah, it's it's a little bit more than just him missing Bernadette. It's also him kind of going through that whole I'm an artist and this is what I want to do but I also want to do this but I need to do this because I'm an artist and yeah yeah so like they have lines like uh I thought she understood they never understood and no reason that they should but if anybody could finishing the hat how you have to finish the hat how you have to watch the rest of the world from the window while you finish the hat Okay. And so it's very much a, it's a, uh, like you said, an artist anthem. It's an artist anthem. And yeah, talking about, oh, you're studying a face. You step back to look at the face, leave a little space in the way like a window, but to see, it's the only way to see. Uh, yeah. 
it's it's a it's a song I really like just art wise because it's like that makes sense. Phew. I think it's just me me losing stuff because of trying to no worries hurriedly draw hurriedly 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 jot down notes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way. Uh, they had appeared earlier, and I yes. forgot to mention them until now. Yes. There are some American visitors who have southern accents who are touring Paris. They don't like the French, and they want to go back to America. But they're conspiring to steal a French baker to take back to America with them because they love the French pastries. Hmm. I wonder which French baker they're going to steal wonder, to take with them. I wonder what plot point they're setting up. I know. George runs into Bernadotte, who is preggers and not with Louis's baby. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Back at the studio, Bernadotte comes by to ask George for something to remember him by. And remember, you remind me, it's a painting that he did of her, of her mm-hmm. looking in her mirror and powdering her bosom. Yeah, and that is an actual painting, that is an actual painting. of but she's actual mistress. But she comes to ask for it, and he's like, oh, I wasn't aware it was your painting. Kind of thing, mm-hmm. just, being a, just being a real dick you yeah. know kind of thing and george is being a dick to bernadette and gives her uh shit for marrying the baker because he's like why don't you as he why don't you want to be with me she's like i do but you ignore me the squabbling former couple are interrupted by jules and his resting bitch face wife <laughs> bernadette leaves the studio so george can show jules his painting bernadette and uh mrs jules i don't know her name they talk for a little bit, and Bernadotte is like, I don't like you, and your husband's just jealous of George. Meanwhile, Jules doesn't appreciate George's work. George is like, look, your eye mixes the colors, red and blue, from a distance to create the violet that you see in that flower. Isn't that cool? And Jules is like, why don't you just make violet? Yeah. The two argue, and Jules is like, you only invited me here because you want me to put your painting in the next art show. George Montoya is like, hello! My name is George Montoya. This is my painting. Put it in your art show. <laughs> Jules is like, I'll think about it. And leaves. And <clears throat> I wasn't, I didn't type it out, but there was uh, a scene that I really liked in that exchange um, when Bernadette is out of the studio sitting down and resting bitch face wife is out there too. And she's like, mm-hmm. huh, art bores me. Like art talk bores me or whatever. Da, 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 da. And uh, she inquires with Bernadette like, why don't you, you know, why will you, or she's like, why are you so rude or whatever? She's like, maybe I don't like you kind of yeah. thing. And she's like, I've heard what, I've heard the rumors. I know what you say about George, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And, and uh, she goes, y- your husband's just jealous of George, you know? And yeah. And she says, she makes a comment. She says that jealousy can be a form of flattery, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, she says that I've even been, been jealous of you before, you know, because I've seen George painting you and drawing you. Mm-hmm. kind of thing and she's like and Jules doesn't draw me anymore and she makes the comment he said he says that my I'm too angular and I'm too flat and yeah stuff like that I'm like that's harsh yeah like, <laughs> all these painter husbands being dick bags right but I, I did like that exchange between the two and, I did uh, too but yeah that's pretty much how the exchange happened between Jules and uh, George too when George is like trying to show him these cool things he's doing with the different dots you know and, yeah and you know because everybody says, like, what color's that that flower? He's like, it's purple. He's like, no. And then he moves him closer. Red and the blue. From a distance, your eye mixes it and makes it purple. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. And I just love it. Isn't that cool? 
And wow. no black is used. It's all the colors together. Yeah, it's all the different, it. different colors together. To no make white is used. Like, it's it's just... Uh. So was there no white? It's just the no, white of the canvas? I think, I think white might have been used. Because what he does, and he mentions he it mentions at one He mentions that he uses 11 colors. Yeah, and there's yellows and oranges to create the light on it. And then I think blues... And greens to create the shadow. Shadow, and so it's it's just using color to create light and other color. I don't know if white's used in it. Anyway, anyway, anyway. An unspecified amount of time passes, and Bernadotte is like, "George, I'm still here, you ass. You asked me to stay, <laughs> and then you forget that I'm here." George. <laughs> George, not acknowledging what Bernadette said at all, is like, Jules doesn't like my work. Bernadette is like, motherfucker, listen to me. Mm -hmm. I'm leaving for America with Louis. He has work for some rich southern people who seem like twats. <laughs> George is like, you won't like America. I've read all about it, so I'm an expert on it for sure. <laughs> Bernadette finishes, uh, oh, sorry, Bernadette Bernadotte fishes hard to get George to tell her how he feels, to say, don't go, I love you, I miss you, I want you to stay here with me. However, it appears that George has some serious relationship issues, he doesn't seem to have the ability to communicate with his significant others, and he's like, I can't tell you the words that you want to hear. Yeah. Bernadotte is like, fine, go hide behind your painting, I'm leaving. And she leaves. Yeah. And that is actually a line that George uses. I can't tell you the words you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And you know that the words she wants to hear is, I love you. I need you. Like, yeah. stay with me. And he's like, I can't say that. Yeah. It's like, okay then. <laughs> Emotionally stunted. George goes to talk to his crazy mother. Oh. George is... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> George goes to talk to his crazy mother. George is drawing her while his mother laments about how things are changing and there used to be trees over there and a field over there and this and that. All while George is like, none of this has happened. You're wrong about everything. <laughs> George's mother then sings about uh, Sundays disappearing and changing and how horrible it is. And George is singing about how change is beautiful. The song ends with his mother saying how she longs for the old view, which, based on what, well, based on what George said, I'm not sure ever existed. Mm -hmm. So she just, because she has dementia, she's remembering things that didn't happen. Like, you know, she's talking about, oh, your father would bring you boys to go swim and he would tell you to go out a certain distance and come back and George is just like, none of that ever happened. Dad wasn't around. I hated swimming. <laughs> yeah, ex yeah, exactly. Sunday, another Sunday, George is still sketching his mother and Bernadotte comes over to George holding her baby, Marie. Bernadotte is like, do you want to see your daughter? George is like, she's not mine, she's Louis, because he will be a good father, which I cannot. Bernadotte has finally had enough and leaves with Louis mm -hmm. for America. Because there are no painters in America. <laughs> and the streets are paved with... <laughs> not cheese. <laughs> that, that joke was just for you, Kay. Oh my god. At the same time, see, at the same park, we have a soldier who, we have the soldier who has apparently split up the thirsty tots. Jules, who is looking 
for a quiet spot to fuck Franz's wife, mm-hmm. and the eye patch pirate chasing the wild child so that he can beat her. All the different players in this Sunday cascade of human chaos come together to argue, but forgot that George Montoya is the god of this world, <laughs> and he uses his artist powers to make everyone hold the pose that he wants. Using his artist god powers, George brings Bernadotte back to the scene, and for a moment, we think he might, like, do something sweet. But no, instead he makes her stand and hold a monkey. That's not a euphemism either. Intermission! <laughs> I will say, though, that I love how they had him forming the painting. Yeah, so because like... he brings all the people on stage and then he goes over and he's rearranging them, making them, you know, hold the poses they want. And that was the thing. He goes up to, to Bernadotte and he's mm-hmm. like moving, he's like hold, moving her head and he's looking at her eyes. And you think for, I thought for a moment he was going to like kiss her, but mm-hmm. then he, no, he moves her head, has it up and then he's she's holding the leash to a monkey, you know, yeah. and I'm just like, you dick. <laughs> Back from intermission... All the people who were frozen in place with George's god artist powers are complaining about how hot it is outside, and how they're not in the poses that flatter them, and how it's hot up here, forever, no matter what. Oh! Oh! It's the souls of the people George painted. They're trapped in the painting forever. This took a dark turn, Kay. At least while everyone trapped in the painting are, are complaining, Bernadotte thanks George for putting her in front. In the shade, with a hat. (laughs) It's the least he could do. It's the least he could have done since he was a shitty companion who didn't want to be in his child's life. And trapped her mother's soul in a painting for all time. It's the little things that add up. Like dots on a canvas, you may say. Oh, you're fine, Lottie. You may not see it up close, but when you step back, the dots come together to show people trapped. Trapped forever. (laughs) Oh, and Lottie's being a whimper girl. I wonder if we picked that up. Probably. <laughs> oh my god, though. <laughs> She's like, I have had my dinner and cookies, but I want more cookies. Dad, Dad, they're not trapped souls. It's just the painting is flat alive now. What she's probably doing is going, Dad, you said you'd play with me when you're done recording, but it's almost 5.30 and the light's fading and I want to get my playtime. Yeah, we're almost done. Oh, you're cute. Oh, you're cute. Okay. Enough about our dog. <laughs> for now. Yeah, for now. One by one, the trapped souls of the painting come forth to say what they thought about George. And dot by dot, word by word, the picture is painted that George is dead. Died young. And as the ghosts of the painting past, as the ghost of painting past leave <laughs> the canvas one by one, the scene changes to that of George's great-grandson, who is giving a recounting of George's life with his grandmother, Marie, the same Marie who is George's daughter. They talk about when he was born, his uh, his <laughs> his upbringing, and his training in the classical arts, as well as his paintings and his sudden early death at the age of 31. As George's great-grandson was presenting this fancy electronic art tribute of George Montoya, and he like has this, I can't remember what they call it, chrome spectrum? Uh, chromalume. Chromalume. And it's just basically a laser light show, you know? And that is the thing that had never been done on Broadway before. And I thought it was cool. Yeah. I thought it was definitely cool. It, it's fucking awesome. It very much changed the whole tone of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, just And that, this is, you know, when you come back from intermission, because the intermission, first part ends 
with the painting. And it's like, da-da, finish painting. And then it's like, this uh, second part picks up, and it's a hundred years later, and the painting is in, you know, the Chicago Museum, and yeah, all this stuff, and, and then it's, it's just, it's very interesting the way it's done. Yeah. And, oh. Can you be patient? Do you need to go potty? Do you need to go potty? Is that what you're saying? Do you want to go outside? Mama can pause and then we'll go potty. So I know you just barely told me, but what was the name of that laser light show thingy? The Chromaloom? Chromaloom. Chromaloom. Is that a real thing or is that completely made up? You know, when I was looking it up to figure it out, only thing that pops up is Sunday in the Park with George and Desperate Housewives. So completely made up. Cool. Yeah. A laser light show that comes from the Chromaloom dazzles the audience and leads to the painting in question being illuminated. The tones of the sh- see the tone of the show changes, and now it is an art gallery presentation. People come up to look at the painting and be like, "Eh, it's okay." And then we have some art politics and how they need to try and predict what will be popular next, which artist to embrace. And it's <sighs> I, I forgot to mention it in earlier notes because when I was talking about George talking about George and Marie is talking to George about George, like we have old George and new George. <laughs> George classic. Yeah. <laughs> Old George. Old George's great-great-grandson is also named George, and now he'll be known as New George. <laughs> and in case I forgot to mention that, New George seems to have followed in his great-grandfather's footsteps. He's an artist, ahead of his time, and hating the mingling of people, trying to explain his brilliance to the mediocre and mundane minds around him. There are some great visual gags in this part where people will be talking to New George, and he pulls out a cardboard cutout for people to talk to instead of him while he sings about how art isn't easy. He rants his inner monologues to the audience. And I loved this scene. Same. It is one of my favorite scenes because he's got, you know, just regular theater appreciators. He's got, like, the curator. He's got, you know, uh, critics and, mm-hmm. and other people who want to do uh, business with him and stuff like that. And he hates all... Like, he basically is like, I just want to be left alone to do my art. I just want to do my art. Yeah. I don't want to have to talk to all these people. I don't want to have to pretend because he talks about these, like, a little bit of politics, a little bit of of uh, 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 flattery. Like, he's just... He's like, I have to play all these little parts mm-hmm. just to get my art in exhibit. Yeah. And uh, it was a really good scene. George is confronted by his greatest challenge of the evening, the (laughs) self-important art critic who George can't escape. He attempts to conjure another cardboard illusion to distract her, but it fails, forcing George to have to face the brunt of this woman's criticism of his art. And I do love how, because, like, he does this cool thing where he, like, almost, like, magically, he, like, points to, like, the stage and, like, lifts up these cardboard scenes, these cardboard cutouts of him that come up from stage, and then people will turn and talk to them. And he tries to do that with this woman, and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So then he just goes over and grabs one and comes yes. over and just plants it right in front of her. And it's him face palming. Yes. And then she's talking to that while, while he's ranting to the audience about... I loved it. I loved it so much. It's one of the best scenes. George is saved from snapping by the dinner bell as the curator of the museum calls all the attendees to follow him. Marie and her handler hang back to mingle a bit longer, and before long... The scene is just Marie and George. Marie sings about her mother and how beautiful she was and how she's in multiple places in the painting and how uh, George, old George must have really loved her to put her in all those spots. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if she actually was. No. 
Yeah, because that's the thing is that New George then says, really? Was she really in all those places? Because the entire time that his grandma's talking, he's kind of like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. Are you sure, grandma? Like, oh, that scene hit hard, though. I love that scene. It's a good scene. You were, get, you, you were getting teary on that scene. You're, oh, you're, get, that, yeah. You're getting teary thinking about that scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the handler was George's ex-wife. Yeah. <laughs> She's barely in it, so I didn't really make mention, because Marie talks about... Do you remember what her name was? No. Yeah. So, because <laughs> uh, Marie is talking to the art critic kind of thing and she's like oh this is so and so she used to be married to george i really hope they would have children i want george to continue his line have you uh, are you married and then the woman's like i gotta go because the two most important things you can leave behind are children or art <laughs> was the thing that she said which i'm like okay we're leaving behind art <laughs> <laughs> podcasting's art damn it i was just about to say <laughs> podcasting cow yes because I said so. George goes back, new George, goes back to Paris, to the island of Jatte. Is it Jatte? Uh, yes. Isle of Grand Jatte. Isle of Grand Jatte. New George goes back to Paris and the Isle of Grand Jatte. All that's left that even resembles the painting is a tree. George gets a snapshot of him with the tree. His pal Dennis, who was in the previous scene and was formerly Data Franz <laughs> of part one, is quitting because of the stress of the art world. NASA, apparently, is less stressful. And mm-hmm. I love, because he's in the previous scene, like, at the art gallery, and I love that he's, because, like, the shit goes wrong with his chroma spectrum modulator thingy. Yeah. And they end up having to be like, hold on, folks, you know, we'll get this fixed up, and then we'll continue. And and after the show, Dennis comes up to be like, I'm so sorry about what happened. Like, I told so-and-so that it's going to draw this much power, and they didn't listen. And, mm-hmm. and then he's like, I'm just letting you know I'm quitting. He's like, why? Why are you quitting? He's like, this is just too stressful. I'm going back to NASA. <laughs> then you find out later. It's just, you know, that wasn't what he wants to do anymore. Yeah, and he wants he, to do something new. And, and he makes a comment to him in this scene when they're in Paris. He says, I've helped you build the last five of these spectrochromographical things. <laughs> I want to do something different. Kind mm-hmm. of thing. Don't you want to do something different? And, and New George is like, of course I want to do something different. But he's like, I don't. Basically, his tone implies that he doesn't know what he wants to do. Yeah, but he says that he did not take the commission from that Texas dude. That's right, because that was there. That was there. He's like, ah, I want to do some business with you. And and, yeah. Yeah, because he wants to do something new. And they also point out that Marie died. Yes. And one of the things that comes up a bit is just like, oh, this is different from how she would (laughs) have thought it would be. Yeah, because, yeah, he wanted to take Marie back to Paris. You know, but it's everything's different. Like, because they show the scene on the island and there's buildings. Everything's built up. Yeah. And the only thing that's there is a tree that's, you know, he's like, hey, you think that could be the tree from the painting? They're like, maybe. Mm-hmm. And he takes a picture with it. George sits in the same spot that his great grandfather did. And he reads his great grandmother's grandma, grammar book slash journal. Mm-hmm. He sings about how this place is not what it was in old George's day, where... Where are the people walking on the island? All that's still here is a tree. I love that song. That it's one a good, is it's lesson a good, number eight. Lesson number eight. It's a good song. Oh, yeah, because that's uh, lesson number eight in the grammar book, and that's mm-hmm. that's where he's reading. But, yeah, it's a good scene. It's very somber. Yeah. Because uh, it's very much, it's the, t- the sub, 
subtext, if there is any, I would say, well, of course there's subtext anyway, <laughs> is that it's kind of disillusionment. Uh-huh. He's been kind of brought up to have this certain idea of this place. And mm-hmm. then he gets there and it's, he's, and he talks about, oh, there's mud tones in the water and the sky's gray and the yeah. grass is kind of dull. It's not green and it's not really mm-hmm. green, bright green. And so there's just this real, uh, feeling of of yeah disillusionment yeah the power of george's artist angst teleports his great-grandmother to him and she thinks new george is old george she she sings some inspiration to him and after her song george asks her about something in the book and why she wrote these words bernadotte tells him those are his words the words that he so often muttered when he worked And as new George utters the words of old George, the scene changes again. The buildings of the 1980s Paris disappear, and the souls of those who were trapped in the painting come back, and the world around him transforms to that of old George's. And the wailing pigment people finish their song (laughs) and exit the canvas scene. The last line of the show is one of new George's, reading out of his great-grandmother's book, White, a Blank Canvas. So many possibilities. The end. Fucking love the end of this show. It ends really good. It definitely does. Um, Critics who don't like this ending, like no, the last act, that WTF. Well, <laughs> it's that's the thing too. Is like I, the scene because we really talk about because like the you talk about in the Tonys that how you know one lighting and art direction all yeah. this stuff and I'm like yeah absolutely because mm-hmm. they do so much cool stuff with like fading in and fading out of mm-hmm. stuff in the foreground and the background and just with colors and how this last scene when like all the buildings are like going up and they're disappearing and the scene is more or less kind of returning to the way it looked mm-hmm. in uh, the you know 1880s mm-hmm. um but then, like, and he talks, and as he's reading in the book, and he's reading George's words, and and how he was saying that his, I think he said his favorite color is white, like a blank canvas. Yeah. So many possibilities. Yeah. And as he's saying that, like, the scene is just kind of getting superimposed with almost like the snowy effect. Yeah. And it's kind of blanking it out, but you can see just vague shadows and stuff like that. Yeah. And it just has a really cool upward momentum to it like Mm -hmm. the ending it's very much it's very much open-ended it's very much like one one story has ended but you know the ending of this opens up new possibilities yes and it just it ended good yeah Yeah. it ended absolutely good and as you've as anybody has known who's listened to other shows uh i hate when the ending sucks yes i'm looking at you my fair lady uh (laughs) i hate when the ending sucks sucks this had probably one of the best endings of any show we've seen mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. you know for me personally the first half had its ups and downs um really okay really when i boiled down to it my only real gripe about this show is old george yeah i don't like what a douchebag he is mm-hmm. just about everything else in the show i think is great the humor yeah. in it is a lot of fun yeah you know there's a lot of great uh visual gags in it there's some and just entertaining stuff the songs like i like i said i have to listen to it again Mm -hmm. because some of the songs were kind of wasted on me Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) just you know Mm -hmm. just how it is uh but yeah it was it was good i liked it awesome i liked it yeah i i sit here and i go 
I can see why some of the critics of the day would have been like, oh, well, you know, the first act is more like what we expect out of theater and the second act, oh my gosh, what the heck. But like, I, I agree and I forgot to pull it up, but uh, Sondheim basically talks about that without the second act, the first act is just like a spectacle. That's it. And without the second, what is it that he says? I would almost um, say the second act is more of a spectacle than the first act. Not spectacle. What's what is it that I was looking for? Uh, without the second half, the show's a stunt. That's the line. Hmm. And it's like, yeah, I mean, the first act, while it's a solid musical, uh, like you could end the show there, kind of like Into the Woods. You could end Into the Woods at the first act. But without the second act, you don't see the implications of the first act. And yeah, exactly. That's kind that's... of why I'm not as harsh on George in the first act, because I'm kind of like, yeah, he sucks. But then it leads to making the second act even more powerful, where it's like learning from that mistake, even if you're not actually George, you're moving on, you're doing what he couldn't do. Or what he didn't do, wouldn't do. <clears throat> they do, um, there are kind of themes of, a little bit in the, the whole, uh, the sins of the father, you know, yeah. fall to the sin, uh, become the sins of the son, and all that. What I, I know I messed up that. Yeah, that's why. But whatever. But it kind of has a little bit of that tone, um, that he is going through similar trials as his great-grandfather kind yeah. of thing. He's a artist who's ahead of his time, not as fully appreciated, you know. Yep. But at the same time, they talk about that old George, he died without ever selling a single painting. Yeah. And new George, however, he is, you know, he is well regarded. Like, he is known. Mm -hmm. People do want to hire him for work. So it's like he's got yeah. that up on his great-grandfather. Oh, my gosh. So just for listeners to know, Latte is outside because she was whimpering and had to go potty. And uh, she's waiting for us to wrap up so her dad will go play with her. And she is looking in through the window at us, like, hurry up! I'm out here! Come play! <laughs> well, I guess, I guess that we can, uh, we can wrap up, because the goober wants us to, and the daughter is very important. And I have finished all my notes. Okay, so, and there's nothing else that you want to talk about with this one, or? I mean, I don't know, I feel like, I can't think of anything. Is there okay. anything you want to ask me about it? Does that might jog my memory on something? Is there anything Trina. that I didn't cover that you want to no, ask me about? No, no, I don't think so. Because I, I liked it. I, I, I really do, too. It's like, I think Sweeney Todd is still musically my favorite Sondheim, whereas Into the Woods is my favorite overall still. But this one kind of tries to vibe for top title, too, between the other ones. Uh, we'll cover another favorite of mine later that's actually an early one. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about right now. What are we here to talk about? We're Kay? here to talk about the next show. And I was thinking at first, I was like, oh, that's right. This is the one that you haven't this seen. This is one I haven't seen because, uh, to, to peel back the curtain a little bit, I was thinking about a couple of different options because, uh, I wanted to do at first a, uh, I wanted to do a maybe Easter-related show, but we've already covered all the Jesus musicals, and <laughs> I thought about Children of Eden, and then I went, no, I think we'll do that one a little bit later. And 
Then I thought about maybe, oh, we could do like the third nonsense, or we could try to cover Sister Act, which is coming up. Um, but then, as I was looking at Broadway HD, something stood out to me. And Broadway HD is a great streaming service. And I would check to see if there's any deals going on right now during quarantine. I think there might be some. Because Broadway HD had one that I had to look and see if there would be enough for me to be able to present a full presentation for Warren on. And it turns out that there is. So Warren. Huh. 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 No fucking way. <laughs> yes. Holy shit. Yes. <laughs> Should I say it? Yep. Jerry Springer, the opera. Holy <laughs> shit. Jerry, god damn it. I'm a little ashamed to admit this because it's just trash TV, but when I was a kid, whenever I was like homesick or whatever, mm -hmm. I would watch Jerry Springer. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like a train, like Weird Al's song covers it so perfectly it's like a train wreck you like you you don't want to stare but you can't look away yeah and oh my god i i probably should not be as excited for this one <laughs> as i am i mean regardless it's going to be entertaining <laughs> right i cannot believe that there's a jerry springer musical yep that is hilarious yep and we're gonna watch it and for those of you uh at home you can uh subscribe to broadway Broadway uh, HD, uh, they currently have, you know, $8.99 a month, or you can do $100 a year, um, and they may actually have some deals out soon, hopefully, uh, because, you know, we're all in quarantine, and we're all needing social distance, and what better way than to uh, watch the Jerry Springer musical? <laughs> oh my god. So, uh, yeah, I... I'm excited for this one because I had not heard of this one and I saw that and went, holy fucking shit, we've got to do this and we've got to do this now. I agree. <laughs> we have to do this. So next week, Jerry Springer, the opera. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> so thank you all for listening. Um, we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Again, we hope y'all are staying safe out there. Uh, keeping sane. Keeping sane in these trying times. Keeping sane in the time of madness. Yeah. Um, couple of things before we go. Feel free to check out our social medias. We're on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Face Badgers. Uh, <laughs> and you can find links to all those wonderful social media places on our home base, which is ToneDeafMusical.com. Yep, and uh, for the month of April, we are suspending billing for Patreon, Patreon patrons, uh, but we're still, you know, doing the shout-outs and gonna, of course, we love gonna our be uh, doing... Another bonus episode soon, because we now have a little bit more time to be able to do the <laughs> Oil of Olay one. So we're going to be doing that. So, uh, uh, yeah. And if you go to our website, you can also find an awesome link to our amazing uh, friends at the Cast Junkie Discord server. And we have our own channel on there that's uh, not safe for work. Cause I think we're the only one on the network that's not safe for work because yeah. me, because I can't be appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
you know, I I also was kind of like, uh, just to keep it safe, because the tone of our show isn't necessarily for kids, so I don't necessarily want to give the impression that we are for kids outside of the month of February. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even in the uh, the way back, long see, long ago, the long long ago of our episodes when we were trying to be good, I still made lots of innuendos. It's, so. it's still not for kids. It's still not for kids. <laughs> Um, but yeah, thank you guys again so much. Uh, oh, if you follow us on Twitter, you may see that we have, uh, put a call to action to follow Andrew Lippa hmm. on Twitter, who's the composer for the Adams Family Musical. And hopefully the composer for the much needed Tiger King musical. Please God, let this, let this really happen. Guess Please. what, motherfuckers? <laughs> Guess what, motherfucker? <laughs> we need this musical. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, that's that's sort of a shout out, unpaid shout out to uh, a person that we're enjoying following right now because this is keeping us sane. Well, I mean, unless you're a patron, everything we do is an unpaid shout out. <laughs> fair, fair. Until we get sponsors like uh, the delicious crisp taste of Sprite Ginger. You know, it would be great if we got sponsors for things that we already consume. I know, it'd be so nice. I mean, because we give them marble. You know, it'd be nice to get some money back. Yeah. I, I want I want Sprite Ginger and I want Canada Dry Ginger Ale to sponsor us so that I can get free Sprite Ginger and free Canada Dry. I'll, I'll take a sponsorship from Audible. So. I, need, I need to restock the medicine cabinet after we got <laughs> sick that week. <laughs> All right, so... I think that uh, I think that we've we've gone on long enough for today. Latte needs playing with. Yes, she does. So that'll be it for this week. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf. Deaf.